the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics. We're the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everyone in between. Um, and it's quite funny today. We are we're actually recording uh, on a Monday. We normally, well, often record on a Sunday. But Ben sent me a text on the Sunday and said, "Oh, I had some friends over. I've got a really bad hangover." And my immediate reaction was, oh, thank God for that, because we had some friend, friends over as well, and I had a terrible hangover. So hopefully we're a bit more eloquent than we would have been if we recorded yesterday. Oh, I, I hope know. so. The thing is, now everything's open. There's this real sort of like, we're, we're sort of making up for it. It's not like um, I'm being... Uh, sort of indiscreet and spreading any stuff i'm being very safe but like when friends go should we go to the pub like this is such a unique concept i go yeah yeah i'll definitely see you there well we just had some food in the in our garden but um it's friends we'd not seen for a while but i tell you what i realized on the sunday I don't know if it's a lockdown thing or getting old. I can't. I can't take the pace. I was. I thought I've not drunk that much, and we didn't go to bed like crazy late. And I feel terrible. Is that an age thing, or do you think it's the lockdown? Probably a combination. I think. I think it's a combination, but I would say it is probably more so. I would say an age thing, like. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. <laughs> no, no. I mean, we're we're, <laughs> <Both> we're, <of laughs> we're yeah, we're very similar ages. Last <laughs> yeah. last week there was there was a night when um, I ended up at a friend's house uh, where both me and my partner we it, actually it was Friday we all, we all went out for amazing food. We ate on the Chiltern Hills overlooking Oxfordshire, which was pretty amazing. Oh, lovely. That's and then. Lovely. It was brilliant. And then we came back and three years ago, myself and um, our friends, we had made some elderflower champagne. If you're not familiar with elderflower champagne, elderflowers are like indigenous to the UK. And you you, you pick these sort of um, big white flowers um, and then they have a natural yeast on them and you add uh, lemon juice and sugar and water and you keep them going. And they they make a relatively low alcohol, delicious drink. But if you keep them for three years, they make a very high alcohol <laughs> drink. And when okay. you you've come back from a big night out where you've had pretty, it was about a bottle and a bit each, and of wine, you come back and you go, oh yeah, we'll have a bit of that. And then you stumble back through the town back to your house. The next morning, oh, it's not so good. Yes, I, like, I was going to oh. say homemade stuff's really bad for the hangover, isn't oh, it? Because you don't know how strong it is, and it doesn't yeah. taste as strong as it really is. And oh my lord, the next morning, and like the dog was obviously incredibly pleased to see us when we got back, and so I played a few games with him, and he he always sleeps on my side of the bed. Took him to bed. He was he was like right eight o'clock. I'm up. Like, oh I'm mate, what are you I'm doing? Not out with him. <laughs> Good well. God, my my head is throbbing. <laughs> but but it's okay. It did not stop me. I did I did it again 
I know for, I, that's what was going through my mind. I'm quite impressed. So you had a double header. I I was just one night, a few glasses of red wine, and a, and a, a little later night than I would normally have, and I was a mess. So I, I, you're hardcore. Yeah, you well, are like you're like the Sean Ryder. <laughs> Of the pair of us. Well, a a a you've got kids and uh, b I don't know what b is. I take me yeah. milk thistle, but it did mean that um, in my downtown downtown downtime this weekend, where I was feeling a little bit delicate, um, I did that thing which I always say I should like I shouldn't do it every week. But I took on another giant book, and oh, this. You do it, but it's worth it, though, Ben. When oh, you do it. it's worth it. It's worth it, and I'm I'm super excited. This week, like I started out, um, the 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 reason for doing this week's episode was um, I was scrolling through the channels on sky and there's there's about a million of them i mean obviously there's not a million there's probably 400 of them and uh, there was an episode of star trek on there the original star trek oh, yeah, uh, which Good. which is which is my favorite with of obviously your man captain kirk and it turns out it is one from uh, 1967 and it's called the trouble with tribbles do you, do you remember this oh, one? Oh, Tribbles. You know what? It's weird you say that because our dog, we got, we got a, we've got a quite a young dog and uh, he's still a bit of a puppy and we can't um, have him kind of trimmed yet and he doesn't shed his hair. But when he lies on the sofa, we always joke that he looks like a Tribble. There you go. And if you don't know, like I know what your dog looks like and I can see it perfectly. If you go and look up The Trouble With Tribbles on Wikipedia you will see that the hero image is William Shatner in a sort of like um, nipple deep in a pool of tribbles. <laughs> and tribbles are like really cute, furry alien creatures. Like they're not malevolent in any way and they don't kill anyone. It's actually a beautiful episode. It's really, really lovely. We'll put that image on our um facebook photo album that accompanies as well because it is brilliant it is brilliant and, and oh. you can i can see why because they're the same color as your dog and i always think like even when i saw that for the first time that episode when i was about seven i thought oh my god the prop department must have had an absolute <laughs> brilliant time making all those tribbles um but then uh, when i saw that i thought oh actually there's a there's a very interesting um sort of thread to pull on alien pets because it got me thinking like one of my favorite films is close encounters of the third kind and you know the bit where the spaceship has landed and you've kind of got the backlit um sort of yeah the the weird kind of shapes the gangly arms and all that that's right and and there's this definite sort of suggestion that you've got the the aliens themselves the humanoid creatures and then you've got these really weird sort of like alien giraffes and stuff like that and there's this sort of 
implication that they've picked up creatures from other worlds and uh, maybe not their pets but like (laughs) because they're coming to the front they're definitely not confined in cages are they they're sort of like they're there and then there's the director's cut which has about another five minutes of these beasts and yeah i remember it and then they're shot into the they go he goes up into the spacecraft and all that stuff yeah yeah Mm. and they're brilliant and I just thought, oh, okay, I'm going to have a little look around and see if there's any evidence of aliens not just coming to Earth by themselves but bringing their pets with them. And that it's, makes perfect... Oh, that is a genius idea. It makes perfect sense because... I have to say, though, but while we're on the movie theme, do you think what you're talking about might have been the original pitch for Arnold Schwarzenegger's Predator. Oh, well. <laughs> he comes, he collects pets. Now, what we'll have, we'll have Arnie in a big basket <laughs> in the corner of the spacecraft just being fed super treats. It just wouldn't have worked, would it? N- no, but <laughs> but I do see exactly what you mean. And there are, like, I haven't got it in this episode, but now you say it, because I, I sort of put it into a different category, but there are people who, um, and and I would say specifically hunters in America's Midwest who have seen what they call um, sparkle creatures, which right. are very much like um, the predator when it's in its full disguise. And I think that is something that we should we should cover. We should, we should look into. Yeah, sorry, I'm not throwing you off your pen. No, no, no. I think this is a great idea, though, Ben. So I'm looking forward to this. Okay, well... So the the first, so I started like casting a wide net and the first fish that fell into my wide net was something that I had never read about before. And that was, the there are reports and I'm not going to credit them because I can't find, we spoke about this in the last episode and I think it is important to have a number of, credited sources for these things and i could only find one source on this but i found a report of vicious rat-like creatures that were found at the source at the site of the roswell crash oh really yes and the strange thing about them was the distinguishing feature not only were they sort of did they look like some sort of rat hamster hybrid um, but they ran around in formation. So if you imagine how drones, when they're doing formation yeah. flying are, you get six and they form a box and they run around in that box. And that is apparently something that was recovered from the crash site. And that, for me, that was like, oh, okay. So I wonder where the idea of you know in close accounts of the third kind the idea of bringing right, pets right. came from and it does feel like oh that's kind of interesting like you could imagine like interstellar alien travelers coming and they're like yeah well i'm not bring not leaving without alice and mike you wouldn't leave your pets behind would you if you, you were would going, you, you, you wouldn't sailing leave across the galaxy no exactly exactly and i thought that was that was like 
super interesting that that had because it, it does it doesn't really come up in much of the literature but that slight sort of bit of information that they were running around in these formations oh that's kind of interesting it doesn't it does add a little bit so, of credibility to it so they're saying that not only were they observed but i guess the implication then is that if you follow the thread, the military would have captured them as well. Yes, yeah, that's the that's the idea. That's the oh, idea. I hope they looked after them properly. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> it depends how vicious they were, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah. But then I started looking around a little bit more, and I did arrive at some more interesting ideas about. Um, creatures that arrived that could possibly be pets but before we get there i stumbled across something which genuinely made me made my jaw drop a little bit and this is from a paper where it's it's a paper sorry it's a journal called the progress in biophysics and molecular biology it's a proper scientific journal and the article in there starts off saying talking about is it possible that frozen octopus eggs riding a meteor arrived on earth 450 million years ago and there's a reason why they say this so this paper that they published which has contributors they have 33 researchers who are exploring different theories. But the one thing they all agree on is that cephalopods, so we're talking squid, octopus, and cuttlefish, could have arrived on Earth from somewhere else. I have heard this before. I don't know much about it, but I have heard this before. And if you've ever seen especially an octopus, what it can do. Um, and it, I don't know, if you've ever seen that Netflix thing, My Octopus Teacher, which I love, uh, which is a great documentary if you've not seen it. You, ju- you, you know, I, it doesn't surprise me, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest that they are alien to this world because yeah. there's so much about them that is alien. I'm sure you're going to come on to that. But I, I have heard this before. Uh, both octopus and squid. I didn't realise it was the whole, the whole uh, what they call it genre. I wanted to use, but that's the wrong thing. So. Well, it's it's the evolutionary tree. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, I'm just about to to bring that up. So so the first thing that they point out is, and this I had no idea about this. The genome of the octopus shows what this is a quote a staggering level of complexity with 33,000 protein-coding genes, more than is present in Homo sapiens. So th- there's a, a a great level of complexity in that organism. And then this is the quote that really stands out in, that, in this paper, and you'll have to stick with me. It's, it's five lines long, but... Um, okay, yep. It's, it's worth listening to. The transformative genes leading from the consensus ancestral nautilus, 
So just to aside, you know you 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 know the Nautilus. You see those as um, uh, fossils on the beach. These sort of curly creatures. Right. Yep. Yep. The consensus ancestral Nautilus to the common cuttlefish, to squid, to the common octopus, are not easily to be found in any pre-existing life form. It is plausible then to suggest that they seem to be borrowed from a far distant, in inverted commas, future in terms of terrestrial evolution or more realistically from the cosmos at large. So this is from a paper published in a scientific journal and then is part of a EU scientific library. This is not fringe this isn't like an article written for right uh you know a a magazine to collect the national inquirer or anything that's right that's right and it goes on to say specifically about um the octopus its large brain and sophisticated nervous system camera-like eyes flexible bodies instantaneous camouflage via the ability to switch color and shape are just a few of the striking features that appear suddenly on the evolutionary scene. So that's a key point, suddenly. This terrestrial evolution occurred thanks to, and this is the postulation, cryopreserved squid and or octopus eggs crashing into the ocean on comets 700 million years ago. This is, again, (laughs) I have to stress, this is not a fringe scientific thinking this is 33 uh credible science scientists who are looking into the evolution of the octopus there is, is i know oh, sorry no carry on no i was going to say so that is fairly wide ranging but then they say okay there is there's one more explanation but this is not I don't think this is not any less bonkers or kind of mind blowing. Um, so the the this uh, paper says okay. So the researchers give another explanation. So they give two explanations. That's the first one. The second one is an extraterrestrial virus infected a population of early squid, causing them to evolve rapidly into the octopuses we know today. So. Every explanation these 33 researchers give involves life from space interacting with something on Earth. So, right. so it's either it, it brought this novel life form to Earth and that's what it is. It's, it's on its own evolutionary branch because it arrived. Or... It was a virus that took something which was already evolving on Earth in a primitive state and then rapidly modified it. Those are the two possible explanations. And those, like when I was looking for alien pets, that thing, that blew my mind because it isn't, like as, as, a, as a stress, this isn't something that is not embraced by the scientific community. And I'm, it is embraced by the scientific community. That's the... Yeah, yeah, yes. exactly. It is, At, it's a proper paper. Right? It's a proper paper. And the, the, other, the other thing that surprises me about it is, like we say about the double split experiment, 
I can't understand why when I walk into a pub, everyone isn't talking about that. Yeah, or we're not just researching it even further. Yes, yes, completely. But also, you can go into the supermarket and buy canned octopus. Like, you might be eating an alien. It's incredible. You could be. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> and weirdly, I had this conversation the other day because I did. I was in a Japanese restaurant and I had a little bit of octopus salad. And I remember, um, I think you might have told me this that somebody that you knew who was a marine biologist said they'd work with octopuses and they'd never eat them again because they're just so intelligent. Yes, yes. Well, the, the person that I was speaking to told me about, um, they were doing research on them and on one floor in the lab they had tanks with octopus in and tanks with it was a, it was a certain kind of flatfish i can't, i would say place i can't remember exactly what it was but place and um they couldn't re- they couldn't understand why the number of place kept going down and then they looked at the cctv footage and they found that the um octopus were climbing out of their tank walking across the ground jumping up into the place tank taking a place eating it and then going back to their tank (laughs) and then when they'd seen that the scientists were like okay so they moved the tanks of the octopus onto a different floor uh, a, a floor below where they were keeping the tanks of place and it still happened and then one day a scientist came in after hours to get something i don't know what and found an octopus walking down the stairs with the place in its tentacle <laughs> it 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 just walked upstairs got got its place and was walking back down again well, and I think that, that's that like like uh, finding uh, dory i think that's where they got that inspiration from that story i think something or something similar now weirdly ben um, for something else that I was working on, nothing paranormal, I actually wrote about an octopus and I've just found it. And I found, because I did find a, uh, a quote from a journal about an octopus's brain, which uh, I thought I'd share. I don't think I'm going to steal your thunder on this. No, no, so interesting. This is a quote um, from a journal called um, Scientific America, Mind, Volume 28. If anyone's interested, to uh, 2017, it's called "The Mind of the Octopus." It was by a guy called uh, Godfrey Smith. Uh, and if I just give you his quote, because it is kind of pertinent to what you're talking about, he says, "In an octopus, it is not clear where the brain itself begins and ends." The octopus is suffused with nervousness. The body is not a separate thing that is controlled by the brain or nervous system. The usual debate is between those who see the brain as an all-powerful CEO and those who emphasise the intelligence stored in the body itself. But the octopus lives outside both the usual pictures. That's interesting. That's a very interesting quote. I think he's saying that basically... It, it has a brain, but it also uses its whole body as a brain as well. Which, like, we are beginning to understand that 
maybe we do the same. We've been like more and more, I think, over recent times, we've been understanding that the microbiome in our gut yeah. has has an effect on our mental well-being and that there are uh, neurons in our stomach which i don't think a lot of people realize but that is a fact there there, there are neurons in our stomach and so it, it isn't like when you sort of consider those things it doesn't it sort of seems like there might be some symbiosis between the evolution of like the octopus and the cuttlefish and us but the thing that struck me in that research was that um the the idea that they have this ability to change color and shape at will and it does seem completely alien to anything else in the sea and they play on land because we covered this last week didn't we about the misconception that chameleons can change color to match their environment and found out that that's not actually true that's, that yeah that's not absolutely yes yes absolutely but the, the there is a thing like there was there was um uh it was a bbc program it's probably a david attenborough thing where um they were looking at octopuses and um there was this octopus which had found a couple of coconut shells and it was having fun with them so it for a, it pretended that it was a coconut and it it hid itself within the coconut and then it used the coconut to walk along the floor of the sea for no reason no survival reason they didn't need to i mean octopuses are relatively high in terms of the predatory scale it was yep. just doing it because it wanted to do it there's also a thing about octopuses uh, there are other creatures that do it as well um but octopuses because they're quite solitary creatures uh they do play they're one of the few creatures that will play yeah play with fish not not in a hunting playing way but just literally for pleasure yes yes yeah absolutely and and you referenced that film my octopus teacher and that does seem to have uh, an element of that in it yeah. so look i think that doesn't like it's possible of course it's possible that they were um brought to earth by another intelligence but i do love the idea mm. that they they came on a comet or it like if that is the sort of the consensus that it's either a virus which uh infected early cuttlefish and changed their evolutionary path or it is actual formed octopus eggs came on a comet either of those yeah absolutely or, or, brilliant or, yeah brilliant you know you're also kind of i don't know there's all kind of movie references going in my in my head because that's very similar to um Invasion of the Body Snatchers, isn't it? It isn't is. I th- it is. I think that came. Well, that was more blowing in the cosmic winds or whatever. Um, it also reminds me of the start of the Ridley Scott film Prometheus, where the mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember what they're called now, but the the, the architects, or whatever they're called, are, are basically 
they're uh, putting life into an empty earth, aren't they? Into the seas and the oceans, or at least the streams. So, yeah, I, you're right. Just that idea. Well, it also because there's all those theories, aren't there, that uh, life could have started on Mars and. You know, when the the atmosphere went there, that it kind of transferred to here. So, yeah. But 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 that wouldn't explain, you know, this concept of like I like the idea that octopuses or that that branch of evolution is has this alien reference or is compared to anything else on Earth totally alien. That yeah, that's that's really intriguing, isn't it? It is, and and it's sort of I think sort of uh, a great example of perhaps transpermia but let's get back to more where i was initially coming from i think the octopus was a bit of a uh, a sideline and Uh, side dish no we didn't say that (laughs) (laughs) oh it's so delicious with garlic oh it is lovely but i can't i'm not eating it anymore i just feel too bad and now i know it's actually I don't know, it feels even worse that it could be some amazing, intelligent, alien civilization that I'm eating. Seems even worse. I, for one, welcome our cuttlefish overlords. Yeah, but there is something ironic about that. Sorry, I know we're going to get on to other stuff, but um, it would be ironic that <laughs> me, you, and lots of other people out there have wanted to see an alien creature all our life, and we actually have eaten one. <laughs> that is true. But... To be fair, salt and pepper squid is oh. it's yeah. literally the best it's the best food. Yeah, wait until mama comes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll regret it. But look, if if we go back to the idea of um animals or at least creatures who aren't greys or conventional bipeds arriving on alien ships yeah i came across the book monsterland by ronnie leblanc and it was like the mother load of <laughs> stories that i was like okay this is super interesting so he sort of takes this view of perhaps bigfoot isn't the missing link between man and apes perhaps Bigfoot is an alien entity. And the way, because like, I think that's probably not a massive leap for a lot of people, but the first story that he brings up sort of maybe go, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way before. So he cites a story from 1888 when a cattleman described an encounter with friendly Indians in the Humboldt County in California. And they led this cattleman to a cave where he saw what he describes in inverted commas as a hefty humanoid creature covered in long, shiny black hair with no neck, sitting cross-legged. And one of the Indians told him that... Uh, they called these creatures crazy bears. And these crazy bears had been cast out of a small moon that dropped from the sky and landed. And the moon then ascended back into the air. So it sounds very much like 
what is being described. These crazy bears are Bigfoots and the moons are spacecraft. That is yeah, exactly yeah. what it sounds like. Yeah. And then what he does as an author is gather together a whole bunch of stories which associate the UFO phenomena with I, whether you call it Sasquatch, whether you call it Bigfoot, you know, whatever, whatever you describe it as, we're talking big, hairy hominids. So the first story that really caught my eye happens on July 31st, 1966, on Presque Island State Park, Pennsylvania. And it involves four adults um, who are two couples and two young children. And they're visiting from New York. And this this area, you've got to imagine, it's like um, it's like a big leisure place. And it's got beaches. And their vehicle gets stuck in the sand. And so they all try to push it out, but it doesn't work. And so one of the males in the group hitches a ride to go and get a tow truck. And then police come along and they're like are you guys okay they explain the situation yeah yeah one of our parties got to get a tow truck we'll be fine and they're like well we'll come back and check on you because you know if it all goes wrong we'll we'll help you and then as the people are waiting for in the car for the tow truck they notice this star-like object that gets brighter and dimmer and then brighter and dimmer and moves across the sky so you've got to imagine we're moving into the evening time now so we've got a a big expanse of sky that is gradually getting darker and they see this object and then it comes down even closer and they realize that it isn't something that's really far away it's hovering over the woods nearby to them and then later as they're observing it they say it causes their car to vibrate whilst they're observing this just as it sort of gets to the end of you know the the time when this this thing is causing this effect the police come back to check on whether they've been picked up or not and Everybody in the car is really, really keen to tell these police officers what they've just seen. And so the police officers believe them and they take the last remaining man in the vehicle. These are different times. They take the last remaining man in the vehicle to the vicinity where everybody in the car says the UFO has landed. And so we now have all the girls and all the kids in the car they're left alone in the stranded vehicle and they straight away as soon as the police car disappears with their male friend they witness a six foot ape looking humanoid walking towards them and it comes from the same area that the police had entered to locate the landed craft they describe the creature circling the vehicle and even clawing at the car leaving marks And, of course, everyone is very upset about it. As the women scream, it seems like this upsets the creature and he walks back into the woods. And then 
coincidentally, the UFO shoots back up into the sky. The police return with their friend and find the women in a state of shock. And the Pennsylvania State Police decide to tell the Air Force about what they've seen. And this is recorded in Project Blue Book as case 10798. So this makes itself into a a proper bona fide incident, if you like. Yeah. And quite... um... It's quite an interesting group of people, isn't it? It's there's there's multiple people, different ages, families, couples. That's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Although but, I did, um, I, I did have a feeling that as soon as your six foot kind of tall alien creature got back to his craft, his partner said to him, "I told you not to stop." <laughs> <laughs> I know they were stuck there, but I knew they wouldn't want your help. I tried shaking the car. They just got really freaked out. Yeah, so I was only checking the exhaust. Jesus. Yeah. Um, but there's loads, there's loads like this, and I've pulled out the ones that I think are really like eyebrow-raising. Eyebrow oh, so, oh, sorry, apologies for this. You no, probably no. did say... Um, Whereabouts is this? Are these all within a similar location, or are they all over? No, no, they they are. uh, We'll get. It's funny you should say that. I think that's a really good point. Okay. No, these are not in similar locations, but we'll get onto similar locations. That that one was in Humboldt County, uh, County in California. Okay. Cool. Uh, The next one is uh, in Ohio. So this is 1973, and a witness called, and it's very formal, Mrs. Riafa Heitfeld, and I do apologize. I did look up how to spell Riafa, R E A F A, and I couldn't find a way of pronouncing it. So I hope Riafa is the correct way of saying it. I apologize if it's not. But she and her 13 year old son are uh, sleeping in a trailer in Cincinnati, Ohio, and it's the morning of October the 21st. Um, Riafa wakes up at 2.30 a.m. to get a glass of water and she notices strange lights in the adjoining parking lot. She looks out of the window and her attention is drawn to what she describes as a inexplicable cone of light shaped like a huge bubble umbrella about seven feet in diameter. <laughs> and then... She says she spots a greyish ape-like creature with a large downward-angled snout, no neck, and a sizable waist. Wasn't me. <laughs> Moving slowly... Is that where Elvis went? <laughs> Could be. There you go. Moving slowly, it then entered into the light, and about five minutes later, both the ape-man and the UFO disappeared. So this is this is a really interesting set of circumstances where she has seen the interaction between the the craft and or lights and and the being. I started thinking when you were talking about them, like you know, this, you get to this thing, don't you? Of like, why wouldn't they just land in a a city, or why wouldn't they go somewhere obvious? And then it just struck me. Maybe they're just stopping for a leak. 
Yeah. It's, pos- it's possible. <laughs> it's just, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, come on, I haven't gone for ages. Can we just look? There's a wood down there. No one's going to notice. Or, or what do we do as humans? We, like when I'm driving to the in-laws, which is about three hours away, we've got the dog with us. Halfway through, we Take stop. Take pet, of course. We stop for petrol and let the dog out dog for a out. wee. Oh, yes. I see where you got a genius. Yes, exactly. It just look, he needs a walk. He's been cre- creeped up in this spacecraft for for millennia now. <laughs> just a little run round the forest. Wow. Okay. Have Love you that. have you let the yeti out for a poop? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He stinks out of that cabin if he doesn't go properly. <laughs> well, l- let me hit with this one. It's another one. So this is uh, October 25th, 1973, just slightly later. A group of farmers in Fayette County, Pennsylvania, they spot a dome-shaped UFO that was brightly lit, and they describe it as being about 100 feet in diameter. Wow. As they drove towards it... They saw a par, uh, a pair of gargantuan creatures covered with thick matted hair, luminescent green eyes and long arms that dangle between, uh, below their knees. One of the farmers fired a shot at the creatures and uh, the UFO disappeared when he did that. And then the two Bigfoots if that's what they were, escaped yeah. in the woods and were never seen again. Um, we'll, so that's we'll, interesting. There's a theme here, isn't there, of the the kind of hairy? Yes. Which makes hairy. sense because, well, again, you know, it's just us who knows what alien pets would look like. But certainly if you're putting them in the context of ours, you want them fluffy and, and yeah, yeah. That's interesting. But the, this next one gives us a bit of a clue as to where they might come from. So this is from dairy farmer William Bossack, 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 I'm going to say, of Frederick, Wisconsin. And he was returning from a business meeting at about 10.30 at night, December the 9th, 1974, when he describes he nearly drove into a globular UFO on the road in front of him. And he describes that his bottom half was enshrouded in fog. Inside the visible transparent dome was a six-foot-tall ape-like creature with reddish-brown fur covering its body, except for its face, and a distinctive point uh, and distinctive pointed ears. It appeared to be operating a control panel. As Bossack passed by, the object suddenly arose and disappeared. So that is the first instance of one of these creatures actually having control of the craft and and that sort of puts pay to my idea of letting the dog out for a week because you wouldn't let the dog drive the craft but then it depends but it depends on depends on your concept of a pet doesn't it i mean well true you might let you know I, i know they're not pets but you know i remember uh our kid's grandpa Letting and when they were very young, letting him sit on his lap and drive the car around the field that he had. You know, yeah. it's, you might, you might, you might let a pet do that if your pet was smart enough, right? Does Han Solo consider Chewie as a pet? Well, there you go. Yeah. that's a whole other debate. That's a, that's another two episodes, isn't it? It is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we get in nineteen in August nineteen seventy six. 
there are a bunch of UFO sightings around Rutland in British Columbia in Canada. Mm-hmm. And several men, and it says their kids, see a hairy ape-like entity, six to seven feet tall, roaming around the mountainside. They also find a clump of hair that they sent to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police for investigation. Oh, I love Anything come back? Well, as you'd imagine, laboratory analysis confirmed it was primate hair, but significantly could not be managed to any known species. Right. Oh, Oh, that's really interesting. They're also, all of these are, you know, I know the first one was 1966, but these are all within a two-year period as well, the the last three you've mentioned. Yeah, yeah. So I've been doing them in in sort of chronological order. Still, there's quite a few within a short space of time. Yeah in, North, yeah, in North America. Yes, and and, and I've cherry picked the ones that were kind of the most interesting, and I've also sort of skipped over. Like the author makes this point that um, John Keel from Mothman Prophecies uh, fame, mm. he believed that there was a link between um, UFOs and supernatural phenomena. And uh, specifically, he thought there was a correlation between UFO sightings and Bigfoot. Right. And one of the things that he did was look at um, the relationship between the times of sightings, so days and actual hours of the sightings, and found that not only were locations uh, noted for their UFO sightings and their... Um, Bigfoot sightings, but that you could credit a lot of those sightings to Wednesdays in between a specific uh, set of hours. So it's like these things are running on a timetable. That's really weird. It is. That's really strange. It is. And then you start to look at, so before um, people from Europe colonised the United States, you got to look at like, are the Native Americans? What do they think yeah. of this? Yeah, and there are uh, the thing that struck me in the write-up initially was the fact that, um, and it hadn't really occurred to me until I saw it here. But yeah, it makes sense. Um, there are some Native American shamans who claim to have the ability to shape shift in order to travel long distances and we'll come back to that but you kind of go oh, okay right. like maybe there's a relationship there like what would it look like if you were shape shifting to travel long distances and there's a bit of that that comes across in the skinwalker ranch story as well isn't there oh yes and stuff yeah oh yes yes exactly exactly and and i don't think we're too far from uh, the Skinwalker Ranch, when right. we we sort of pull out some of these cases where it is ingrained in local law that there is a relationship between peculiar lights, stroke craft, and beings inhabiting them. So um, the author points out the Marfa lights, M-A-R-F-A, uh, Marfa lights of Texas, which are balls of light that have been known and seen by the Apache people in that region for more than a hundred years. 
they were considered to be spirits. And when the first Western settlers moved in there, those lights, the the sort of the folklore around them was that they were the light, the lights uh, were the ghosts of massacred Indians, which is you know horrible, but that's what they said. I believe, yeah. Um, but there is a book uh, called Bigfoot, um, authored by Riggs and Burnett, and they specifically point out the relationship between Bigfoot sightings and these lights. So it goes that the Marfa lights, which are, I wouldn't say predictable, but they are a known phenomena there. You get the Marfa lights and then there will be Bigfoot sightings. That is, it's a relationship between them. And uh, what's really interesting about this is, you know, I almost stereotypically don't associate wouldn't wouldn't have ever associated Bigfoot sightings with the UFOs. And I was just thinking while you were talking, because of the description of the being that you're talking about, you know, why that hasn't captured the imagine like an alien grey or something like that. But it maybe it is because it's too primate like, it's too furry, too cutesy in a way, or too too human. Too terrestrial, yeah. Yeah. That that it you know, we don't want to make that connection. Because it, you know, it has to look weird. It has to look like Paul from the movie. You know what I mean? Or your stereotypical alien grey. Otherwise, we're not going to buy into it as a concept. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that is very relatable and makes a lot of sense. But it's it's kind of when you delve into it. Like the author makes a point of the the sightings which are known specifically for their lights and i would say you know anomalous aerial phenomena are equally known for their bigfoot so you've got things like the big thicket the brown mountain ghost lights we all know those the gonzalez lights of louisiana the gordon light in arkansas the hornet spook light location in missouri they all have a relationship between uh, sightings of hairy primates and the lights and like i went on to do a little bit of further reading and it's really super interesting that all of this stuff enters modern culture not just through these things where it's not as easy to make the connection between like lights on one side so the brand mountain lights are a uh, you know they they are a tourist attraction and on the other side um hairy hominids yeah. but all of these things influenced writers who were writing uh things like Scooby Doo right and and so you get these relationships which sort of um funnel up in peculiar ways so that yeah. it becomes like oh yeah it's actually obvious isn't it that these things are related. But it's only obvious if you look at these things through the lens of sort of popular culture rather than the facts at the yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I discovered when I was looking through this, and again, the author brings up, and I thought this was, it's not 
particularly revelationary, but it is interesting and is almost funny is the relationship between UFOs, Bigfoots and Lovers Lanes. And it seems like they have a relationship that is interested in humans doing naughty things in parked cars. You're not going to tell me they're into dogging, are you? Well, it's possible, isn't it? Wow. So, like, the case They've that... they come all this way, across yeah. the galaxy, for a bit of dogging. Maybe they're premiership football players. Who knows? <laughs> but th- this one, really, I was like, this is extraordinary. So July 1962, two young couples um, in a parked car near Ver- uh, Mount Vernon in Rockcastle County, Kentucky. And they see a Bigfoot, which gets on all fours and jumps on the car. They said it was covered in hair and about the size of a man, and it growled at them. And just before this happened, they had seen anomalous lights in the in the sky. And the author goes on to talk about the number of cases in which Bigfoot's take an interest in courting couples in cars suggests that this is more of a chance than coincidence. You know what's going through my head this moment? You may get onto this or you may not have even made this connection. I'm thinking about Canuck Chase. Oh, yeah. Werewolf activity, UFO sightings... And the journalist that we had on the podcast when we talked about Canuck Chase... Oh, yeah. wrote the original story, because we said, we, we're going to go down there and have a look. He said, oh, be very careful, it's a dogging hotspot. Yeah, 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 no, totally. Uh, I quite agree. So it ties in with Canuck Chase. Oh, brilliant. Okay. You've got people um, who are I've probably got about that another... area for, you know, whatever... For having fun time, stuff. you've then got UFO sightings and you've got uh, okay. cryptids, hairy cryptids, at okay. that, which have been described as uh, werewolves. So I think one of the things that strikes me about this, so if, if we've got a relationship between not only uh, times and um, days of the week, which it seems bizarre, but we've also got a, re- a relationship between areas that you can map out, and that is being drawn, you know, sort of uh, governed by people who are looking at the relationship between UFO uh, or UAP sightings and Bigfoot. This is, it turns out, it's not a new. Things so John Keel, you know, famous author of the Mothman prophecies, he postulated this idea about window areas. So he said these creatures and strange events seem to occur and reoccur in the same area year after year, century after century. And he says this indicates in itself that the creatures somehow line up these areas in what he calls window areas. Mm. And he talks about, like, I'm not going to go into his whole um, sort of essay on this, but he talks about 
how West Virginia itself, which is home to the Mothman from 1966, has many, many unusual creature reports before that time. And he goes on to talk about how the Bigfoot sightings that were made, you know, before and since that time, um, some of them have created a number of people to get together to search for them. So helicopters have been put up. Um, great many people have been uh, mobilised, you know, by their own volition to go and search for these mm. things. And yet nothing nothing comes up. And this, for him, adds weight to this idea that you have um, a window area. So you have, you know, this sort of this idea that there is an easy place for... And and I guess it's at this point you have to make a decision. Is it transdimensional beings? Is it extraterrestrial beings? Is, is it, it portal? some? Is it, is it some, a portal? A wormhole? Or, I mean, again, it, it's making me think of Skinwalker Ranch because that was the implication behind Skinwalker Ranch, wasn't it? That there was some kind of portal portal to another dimension there, and yes. the, and that also fueled. The conspiracy that that's why, you know, the the people who bought the ranch and the military were so interested in it because it had some military scientific uh, uh, importance. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But I think the the like that all does make good sense. But also, like if you start thinking about like we always we don't always manage it but we always do try to think about what could be a scientific explanation behind this so we we often talk about you know um the idea of a simulated universe or whatever mm. but our author does actually give something that is a very reasonable and interesting idea so he talks about how there is it's not a new theory but there is a theory that matter can be converted converted into light and he talks about experiments done with high-powered lasers and he specifically references um from 2014 may 2014 um, an article written by a gentleman called ian sample by the way if you were a scientist or a, great. Isn't that a brilliant surname? <laughs> He's the science correspondent for The Guardian. And the article discussed how particle physics researchers have worked out how to make matter from pure light and are drawing up plans to demonstrate this. And they say uh, there's a quote from a gentleman called Stephen Rose, who's a physicist at Imperial College in London, we have shown in principle that you can make matter from light. But this, it turns out, this is like, this is a modern thing that we can do it, but it's not a modern thing that we thought we could do it. So in 1934, physicists uh, Gregory Bright and John Wheeler come up with the idea. And they right, worked again, out. That's, a, that's perfect. <laughs> Bright and Wheeler. Oh my God, it is. <laughs> I mean, it, it's spelt B-R-E-I-T, but yes, you're but right. still, we'll take yes, it. Yes, yes. Um, they worked out 
theoretically, but also in practice, very rarely that two particles of light or photons, this is where we get our podcast name from, could combine yeah. to produce an electron and its antimatter equivalent, a positron. So they came up with this this practicable theory that um, you can turn particles of light into actual atoms yes and so where the author is getting to with this is like there is there's three ways i think of looking at this either no there's four ways i'm gonna change my mind there's four ways so these these are bigfoot who arrive on earth in alien spacecraft and they're either the pets or the drivers or somewhere in between they are drawn to these areas because they are window areas and it's just a coincidence that these things happen they are um that what we see as ufos is somehow the transportation device which isn't a nuts and bolts device but it's like what we're talking about here this is there's a light source. It's a laser, it's which a is photon transporter. Yeah, we, yeah, a photo. Yes, a photon transporter, which brings us the, uh, the the incarnation of the Bigfoot, and what we see in the sky is just the thing, or it's a completely made up thing, and we, yeah. Been, well, what's interesting because you kind of go that we've generated, but. Actually, it could be us alone, or it could be us with a combination. Uh, there may be something with the location that naturally generates what's needed, is what I'm thinking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it could be, yeah. You know, but- something we can't measure or understand, but those are, you know, because again, it's like Skimwalker going back to Native American you know, tribes and stuff, like going way, way back, reports of stuff in that area, which would make sense that there's something naturally occurring in that area which we don't understand, which is causing weirdness, whatever that weirdness is. Well, I also came up with a theory, and this this is not something I picked up from anywhere else. It's just my idea. It might be rubbish, but... There's a lot of talk, uh, you know, in normal uh, sort of scientific circles at the moment about um, the dangers of AI and the possibilities of AI. What if what we're seeing is a race of beings and the original biological entity is the Yeti and yet what they have created is, for example, could be the craft, could be greys, something like that. So they're not subservient to them, but they've created an intelligence, an artificial intelligence, which is so much better than what they're able to do. They come along for the ride because, you know, they own the gig. It's their thing. They built it all. But these other things sort of run the show under the limited guidance of these right. like buffoons you know yeah 
Oh, who's the pet in that situation? That's quite interesting. Well, that's the thing. Is like if you were, it feels like if you were smart enough to build an amazing AI that could then come up with the ability to travel across the universe and whatever, you'd probably build in like a safety protocol, like you know it, it it's like you know many many novels have this trope but you just kind of go above all else you obey what the big hairy dude says and so the three laws in irobot exactly exactly yeah. right yes yes so you you know you you develop this thing it evolves by itself over the matter of i don't know 500 years of ai evolution this thing is going to be pretty damn smart. But the hairy guys are like, well, you know, we did invent you and the robots and stuff are like, yeah, well, you know, you're still our masters. We'll snigger under our circuit boards, but yeah, you're still our masters and so we'll take you anywhere. And so what, you know, I could totally imagine it. If these things are flying around the galaxy the the original hominids are like could you just drop us out here we wouldn't mind having a little walk around the woods and the ai is like yeah fine we'll get on with our stuff it's it's literally like a tesla car going just drop me off here go and park yourself yeah. and i'm i'm going to get a macadies and go and get some new trousers and i'll see you in an hour it's an evolution of that it's also um yeah that's really interesting that's really interesting. <clears throat> it's also making me wonder, in your theory, if you follow it through, there could be a scenario where greys are these, you know, AI intelligence, that, and it does tie in with the themes of UFOs, men in black, all that kind of stuff. And that yeah. actually cryptids that you see, or I see at least, as something completely separate... They could be your uh, your Uber overlords who are actually managing the grays. Oh yeah, yeah. It could it could be any of those things. And, and what we were talking about earlier is like, oh, as as the idea of these kind of hairy aliens not taken on because we just can't fathom it because they they look too close to us. But there may also be something in your scenario of we well, don't want to risk us hairy ones. We're going to send the grays down to sort that one out. We don't want to be discovered or get shot at or have any trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's that's incredibly interesting. Like, again, I don't think we'll know the truth of this for some time. It's but, fun to speculate about that though. Oh, it's massively fun to speculate about that. And I really like my favourite thing about all of that is Bigfoot, like, jumping on teenagers having a stog in a car. It, it, yeah. it, he's just literally furious about it, and who must knows must have had a why. nightmare during lockdown. We've come all this <laughs> way. There's no one there. <laughs> <laughs> come all the way to Calic Chase. What are we going to do now? <laughs> Cinnabar's not even open. <laughs> nah, we'll 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 go to Canic Chase and we'll experiment with this idea. Like I'm really hoping when we go to Canic Chase for a, a a werewolf or a black eyed kid sighting. 
I mean, yeah, it's not going to happen, but it would be great if it did. Well, it's going to happen. We're going to go, but we're we're not going to see. Well, if we got if we got <laughs> if we got the doggins, the UFOs, the werewolves all together, that would that would be that would, that would be the mother load, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would actually. It would. Okay. I just, I just got this vision of all that going on and you just standing there with your mouth open and a huge poo bag in your hand. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I've got the scat. <laughs> the other thought that I've had while we've been talking, when we started off with the octopus and we uh, tying together the theme of that and the pets, maybe the squids... Are the octopuses pets? They're an alien species that came here, and the squids were their pets that they brought with them. Oh, that's a thought. Makes sense, wouldn't it? That's weird. Yeah. Because as far as I know, the squids are not as intelligent and no. bright as the octopus, but they're definitely of the same ilk. So, yeah. No, that you're right. They're not, but I think squids are more delicious than octopus. I've never really enjoyed octopus that much, but squid, oh. I could eat squid all day, every day. You're playing with fire. If they're listening, you're going to be in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, if if the if the octopus overlords are listening. It's probably only twice I've eaten you, and I, and I didn't know. I didn't know the connection. I didn't know you were from a a galaxy far, far away and far more intelligent than me, and I apologise officially on my podcast. Let, let me tell you that the old men of Paxos in Greece have a lot more to fear. The, the very, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I once... Well, I love Paxos. If you don't know, a little Greek island very very beautiful and i've been there twice in my life and the very first time i went there we rented like a little lovely place near the beach it was it was very lovely this is about 25 years ago now and we were woken up in the morning about six o'clock by this bashing sound I couldn't work out what, what what it was until later in the day I found out. So basically the fisher boats bring the octopus back and they hang them up and then the fishermen beat them on the lines till they're dead and then dry them out in the sun and then sell them to the restaurants. And yeah, it it doesn't make for a very brilliant wake up. There's a man beating up an <laughs> no, octopus. I'm not- and then when the bright lights and the UFO arrives, it must be even worse. Oh, God. Like, the amount of yetis who were waking <laughs> us up using our shower. It was awful. I love this idea, though, of just alien pets. I think it's, it's a rich vein of of something. It's just... I'd never, ever even thought about it before. And you're right, there are kind of nods to it in Close Encounters, but... I don't think it even went in... You know, I've seen that movie so many times, I'm not sure that it even registered as that for me then, or that it could be that could be the implication. Mm. 
Would have made EC a lot more interesting, wouldn't it? If they, it was like the family dog that they'd left behind rather than their kid. I'd, it would make Crofts it, a lot more interesting. It would, it, would make, it would make more logical sense of why they didn't come back quicker once they realised they'd lost a child. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd go, oh, I've got to, I'll have to phone home now and tell them that they left me behind. Do you think your parents would know? But actually, the family dog, you'd still go... You, you, do you know what I mean? You know, I'm, you know where I'm getting with it. I wonder if there was anything in that concept originally and then somebody went, <laughs> no, nobody's going to buy it was a pet. If I had to be on the team to reboot the series Alf. I loved Alf. Yeah, I loved Alf as well. But that would be a brilliant twist. If Alf wasn't yeah. the the apex guy that he said he was, what if he was the intelligent pet of oh. a super intelligent race? HBO, there's a three series deal there, right there. There is, isn't there? Right. Let's let's contact them. <laughs> we can do any day apart from Wednesdays because that's when we're dealing with the UFO <laughs> traffic that's coming in. <laughs> and Mondays when we record this. That's a weird bit, isn't it? The Wednesdays. It, yeah, of course it is. Of course it's weird. How strange is that? Was there, was there any conclusion in the book about... No. No? Just, no. It just, just happened on a Wednesday. Ev- all of it's weird. Of course everything's weird. <laughs> It's a weird world. It is a weird world. Well, we're getting very specific with our call-out this week. We don't want to know if you've seen an alien creature. We want to know if you've ever seen an alien creature with its pet. That is a good shout. Get in contact with us if you have. I, I, I feel that our mailbox will not be exploding, but on the off chance that you have come across an alien walking its pet, we'd love to know. Oh, my God. I don't want to extend this podcast any longer because we've gone on way long enough. But, 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 you know that... I can't remember the island, but there was a lighthouse keeper that took his cat and the cat was singularly responsible for wiping out the entire population of a species of bird. Yeah, I do remember that. You know the one I mean? Yeah, yeah. What if dinosaurs, what if that was like a pet lizard right? Ooh. from an alien and they landed and then the lizard got out and went, oh my God, look what it's done. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to blow this shit up <laughs> to get rid of it. The only way we're going to cover our tracks is to create a massive meteor crater. And make them convince them it was a nuclear winter. <laughs> Absolutely. That Diplodocus, yeah. he, he, he was called Barney and <laughs> lived in a big tank in a UFO. And then he got free. <laughs> Tyrannosaurus, get back here. Get back here. <laughs> <laughs> Sit. Sit. Don't chew my arm. Sit. Oh, my God, my dog is sitting. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Oh bless well i think we're gonna leave paranormal pets so we can both go and deal with our real life ones and take them for a walk so if you if you see a six foot hairy ugly beast traping it's through me. the woods with a pet it's either me <laughs> or bed <laughs> uh look we've i just want to say we've had um a really good week 
on the podcast and I suspect that is down to some of you telling your friends and leaving reviews, which is all incredibly lovely. This is a sort of a lovely, friendly group of people that we are cultivating. If you wouldn't mind, if you haven't done it, please tell a friend, your parents, your brother, your sister, your, your sentient pet, yeah. um, an alien, anything that you can. Just um, another listener will really help us and then that will get us towards the time when we can uh, like make this pay for itself, which would be a brilliant thing because we aren't millionaires. And we can do two a week then. Exactly. Excellent. Well, uh, go do that. We'd love that. And thank you for all your support you've given us so far and continue to do. And we will uh, be back next time on The Quantum Mechanics. See you then. Bye. the quantum mechanics